you're listening to It's All BS with Sabrina, an Amplify podcast. Hello and welcome to the very first episode of this Amplify podcast, It's All BS, your backstage pass to all things live music and the bullshit that comes with it. I'm your host, Sabrina Sutton, and thank you so much for joining me this week, guys. Thank you for tuning in to what is my podcasting debut uh, this is like the 15th time I'm trying to record this introduction. This, it's hard. It's hard talking to the to the wall or I guess to the microphone. Shout out to Blue Microphones who gifted me this Yeti Nano. I've been using it the past few weeks to conduct all my interviews and it's been working really well. So I highly recommend that brand. But yeah, I guess I'm surprised because as a kid, I was one of those weird children that you know if you left me alone for just that little bit too long I started thinking up skits in my head and I would start talking out loud and I'd play all the characters and like that's carried on into adulthood guys like if I'm in the car for too long like two minutes really alone um I'm pretending like I'm on a talk show and sometimes I'm the host sometimes I'm the guest I'm usually both um yeah so I guess this is the most adult and like socially acceptable way to to expel this energy that I clearly have. So thank you. Thank you for humoring me. So this podcast is going to be your weekly chat about all things live music and everything it entails, all its arms and legs. So essentially how musicians get their music from studio to stage and what it's really like being a touring working musician. Um, And what better way to learn about that than from the musicians themselves. And that is why every week I will be chatting to somebody new and we're going to learn about their experiences and their journeys and hopefully pick up some fun stories along the way. And the reason why I wanted to start this podcast is because I think for a lot of us, it's it's very far, this industry is very far removed from our daily lives. And so I think there's this misplaced layer of glamour around the idea of being a touring musician and everything it entails. And I kind of want to lift the curtain on it a little bit and, and you know, find out what it's really like to get a song from studio to developing it for a live audience. If you're a solo artist, how do you choose your band? How do you choose your set list? What is it really like cramming yourself into a bus and traveling across the country for a national tour? What happens if you get on stage and it all goes wrong or the crowd doesn't like your music? They're all questions that I want answers to and hopefully you do too. So thank you for joining me. Hopefully you learn something and hopefully we can all have a laugh along the way. Every week, I'm going to start the podcast off with my top three music news headlines because I think it's important that we try and stay somewhat informed together and I need to stop getting my news off TikTok because it's helping absolutely nobody. So here's some news. News headline number one, Nirvana's Nevermind Baby's lawsuit will most likely be dismissed according to legal experts. Now, Spencer Eldon, who is currently 30 years old, is the baby photographed on the cover of Nirvana's number one album, Nevermind, which was released in 1992. And if you don't know what album cover I'm talking about, please Google it. But it's a photograph of a naked baby underwater floating towards a dollar bill. And you can see the baby's genitals in the picture. Now, Spencer Eldon filed an original lawsuit against Nirvana back in August 2021. However, he's now amended that lawsuit and is officially seeking compensation for lifelong damages and commercial child sexual exploitation. 
Mr. Eldon also wants the album art to be altered for any future re-releases to not show his private bits. Now, all of these claims have a 10-year statute of legislation, meaning they can only hold up legally if it can be proven that Mr. Eldon only found out about his involvement in the image in the last decade, so since 2011. However, Nirvana and their legal team have officially released their response to this lawsuit, rejecting the idea that Mr. Eldon only just found out about being the subject of the photograph and that he's even profited from his celebrity as the self-anointed Nirvana baby. Mr. Eldon has been seen recreating the image multiple times for both payment and clout and has the album name Nevermind tattooed across his chest. So multiple entertainment litigators have said that Mr. Eldon doesn't have a leg to stand on and that the case is most likely going to be dismissed. Now, in my opinion, Mr. Eldon has every right to ask for any re-releases of the album cover to censor out certain bits. He's an adult now. It is his body. Dave Grohl from Nirvana has even said that the band's going to try and make sure that, that you know, those re requests are met. However, everything else about this does feel like a bit of a money-grabbing money scheme, so it'll be interesting to see how this plays out behind closed doors. And on the theme of suing people, Five Seconds of Summer or Five Sauce are being sued by their former management firm for $2.5 million. Management company YM and U Group managed the boy band for seven months from February 2021 till September, and within that time, the company claims it negotiated multiple lucrative deals on behalf of the group, including the $10 million record deal with BMG that was made official and signed shortly after Five Sauce parted ways with YM and U Group. All four band members are listed as defendants, however, it's clear that the band's current manager, Benjamin Evans, is facing the majority of the blame with claims that he acted with fraud and malice in helping Five Sauce to avoid paying the management firm what they were owed, and as such, the company is seeking punitive damages from Evans in particular. Now, as we are in the giving season, I thought I'd better have a light-hearted news headline number three, which is one of Ed Sheeran's guitars raises over £50,000 for charity. Ed Sheeran donated a guitar to a primary school raffle in his hometown of Fremlingham, Suffolk, for the disability charity G-Wiz. But it's not just any guitar, it's the prototype model from his signature guitar series, Equals, which is a limited 3,000-piece guitar collection. Tickets ended up being sold in over 160 countries and raised a total of £52,765, which is now going to fund the building of a smart music room and disabled access facilities at Sir Robert Hitcham's CVAP School. And if that doesn't bring a huge smile to your face, I do not know what will. In this next segment, I'm going to be bringing you my top three car concert songs of the week. What's a car concert song? Good question. I am so glad that you asked. It is the song that you need when you're in the car, most likely alone, and you just feel the need to belt out a tune. And some people do this by, you know, drawing up all their windows and creating a safe, nice bubble for themselves. And other people may be more like me, um, who have, you know, maybe a broken air con and all the windows always have to be down and you like to have the music obnoxiously loud and you want to give everybody and their dog a concert. That's also fine. Um, I used to do that in Melbourne all the time. However, I lived in suburbia where there wasn't that many people around. So I could be as obnoxious as I wanted with like minimal consequences. And I've managed to shift those driving habits into the context of Sydney City now where it is definitely no longer a solo concert. It is very much a concert of anywhere between five to 30 people, depending on the, the distance I need to drive. Um, but the reason why I wanted to include this segment is because I know how hard it can be to find new music with, 
you know, even with the algorithms and the top discover weeklies and all of that that we have now, it can be hard to, to branch out. So I hope that you find a new song or a new artist that you end up falling in love with as much as I do. So let's just jump right into it. My first car concert song of the week is I Am In An Emotional Coma by Halo Kitsch. Now, I will forgive you if you don't know who Halo Kitsch is. She is reasonably unknown. She is from Santa Monica, LA. She probably only has about 1,500 followers on Instagram. However, her songs are very quickly racking up in streams. I think she's just about hit half a million for her most recent single. Um, what I adore about Halo Kitsch's sound is that it is, I guess, what you would call pop rock with edgy guitars, but the production's very raw. Her vocals are interesting. She's sort of like a darker, edgier pop princess, if you will. So this is I'm In An Emotional Coma by Halo Kitsch. My second car concert song is Drive by Lambros. Now, Lambros are a brother duo, Connor and Harry Lambro from Sydney's Northern Beaches. And this is the sort of song you want blasting through the radio as you're belting down the highway, preferably along the coast. It's the sort of song that makes me wish I knew how to surf. It's Australian coastal rock, but with slightly cleaner production so it's it's poppier in that regard um and definitely doesn't fall into like our australian garage punk rock which is very heavy on triple j at the moment i really like this one as a summer tune so make sure you pop it on in the car while you drive to the coast this summer this is drive by lambros And my third car concert song of this week is for all my sad gals out there. Gals, guys, humans, whoever you are. Um, this is a song that you would probably put on when you need to roll all those windows up and you need to have a little bit of privacy. You know, maybe you've had a bad day at work. Maybe you're going through a breakup. Maybe you're just generally having a shitty day. Um, but this is Heal You by Ty and James Organ. Tyne is about to head on a national tour for his first EP release, Necessary Evil. The whole EP, guys, is, is stunning. And Heal You is definitely the slowest and probably, in my opinion, the saddest on the track list. So if you are into the grit of his voice um, and you want to you, you listen to more but you want something a little bit paced, do not worry. There's plenty of that on the EP. But for today, this is Heal You by Tyne James Organ. 
So stay inside these walls which we divide Screaming from my lungs, you know I tried So this is goodbye I can't chase you, I can't chase you all my life I hope you Okay, it's time to jump into what you guys have all been waiting for because nobody signed up to have me talk to them for a whole hour. Thank God we would all struggle through that one. But this week I chat to somebody super, super awesome. There's there's kind of no other way to put it. I was incredibly shocked when I got the phone call um, saying that I could have this interview. I set my bar a lot lower, especially for my first episode of this podcast. So I really appreciate this person um, coming on and giving me the time of day, really. So I think it goes without saying, I was I was pretty nervous for this chat. But without further ado, I would like to introduce you to one of Australia's biggest music producers, an electronic music titan, and one half of the presets, Kim Moyes. All right, sweet. Well, to the very first episode of It's All BS, we'd like to welcome Kim Moyes from The Presets. How are you and where are you right now? I'm very well, thank you. Thanks for having me. Um, it's good to be the first cab off the rank. I am <laughs> just at home. I'm, I'm just at home in Sydney um, in my studio. You know, I think pretty much decided last night that the, the year is over. <laughs> yeah, right. You're done. Yeah, yeah I'm done. Um, you know, my kids have got another week and a half at school and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty much done. I'm, I'm ready to just like go to the beach whenever I can and, you know, yeah, just relax. <laughs> well, you can't really relax because you guys are about to start a multi-show like mini tour. You guys are doing all those festivals popping up in the new year. Are you preparing for that or is or is it just going to be like second nature? A little bit of second nature. I mean, obviously, we oh, I think we did our first show in about six months on Sunday. Um, the last time we played was in April, sort of at the beginning of the year. This, this second half of the year was looking really good and in terms of shows and most of those obviously got cancelled or postponed. So, yeah, a lot of them have been rescheduled for for the coming months so yeah we've got we've got like a new year's show which will be really great to do i always love to work on new year's rather than you know trying to figure out something to do um right. and yeah a couple of shows here and there um a few dj sets here and there so yeah I, i'm not clocking off completely but 
I think um, when it comes to the presets, it's a pretty well-oiled machine now. And, um, you know, thankfully we can just pretty much turn up um, and, and do it, plug turn in and do and it. Turn up and do your thing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, I would like to thank you, first of all, for taking the time to come on and for sort of being a bit of a guinea pig for this project. Uh, so to give you some context, this podcast aims to give the listeners kind of like a backstage look into what the process is like from studio to stage with probably a more focused look on what it's like being a live touring musician. So my first question to you is I want to ask, what's the most bullshit thing that's happened to you while on tour? It can be on stage, off stage, in between shows. What's just something that you think back on and you went, how the hell did that happen? I don't know. You know what? It's funny. We get asked that kind of question a lot. Like I think uh, there might be some kind of idea floating around in people's minds that what happens on a in a touring musician's life can be crazy. Um, and certainly there's a lot of like crazy schedules and, you know, lack of sleep and things like that. But when I hear that question being presented to me, I, I often wonder, do they think that like, you know, we rocked up to a show and we went into the band room and there was like, you know, unleashed gorillas in there or something, you know, because <laughs> uh, it's just never anything that crazy. In fact, it's kind of probably pretty boring and, and, um, and rough, to be honest. But um, look, I, I, I guess I'm buying time to try and think of something wild for you. But That's okay. Well, while, while maybe you think of something, because I spoke to the lead singer of The Plot and You, which is a rock band, and he said the same thing about touring, that it's actually kind of boring. It's, it's sort a of lot of traveling, a lot of sitting around. Okay. Rock up to sound check. Okay. Now I've got to perform. Now I've got to do it all over again. So would you say it's really just like any other job? You just happen to be playing in front of thousands of people. <laughs> I would say it's no, it's, I don't think it is like any other job. I think it's funny. Like after just going through a couple of lockdowns in a pandemic, I think that if ever if everyone's generally experienced that, um, it's kind of the same, you know. It's almost like this kind of Groundhog Day of of the same thing over and over again. And the only thing that's different is the the place that you're in um, and the venue that you're in. But um, it can be really easy to slip into this bubble where you you just kind of get into this routine and and you and you see a, a very little sunshine and. Um, you know, it's a real struggle to find things to do that are good for you or nourishing or healthy. But, you you know, after doing it for many years, you, you really need to sort of stay on top of that. Um, but yeah, it's it's sort of really repetitious and, you know, it can also be quite scary. Like there's a, you know, if you think about it too much, especially if you're like touring, say, Europe or the States in a, in a tour bus, you know, occasionally you'll hear like a horror story about, oh, a band that's on the, on a circuit at the same time whose bus burst into flames during the night, you know? So, you know, you can go, you can go to bed sort of thinking, am I going to end up in a car crash, in a bus crash or, you know, in a bus fire or, or whatever? Um, yeah, but yeah, I guess there's a lot of sort of like, you know, mindfulness going on, trying to kind of calm your nerves and think about the job yeah. at hand and, 
and then you know obviously there's a lot of times where it can just be like we need to let off some steam or whatever this is kind of getting a bit crazy and and there in lies the kind of quintessential rock and roll stories yeah yeah okay well I wanted to touch on you said that what what breaks up a tour are the places you're playing and the venues and you guys have played some huge, huge stages. Like you've done Glastonbury, Coachella, Melt. You did the Sound Relief here in Sydney. Um, you also did the really cool, uh, the Snow Tunes Festival in the Snowy Mountains in Jindabyne. I was wondering what's like, do you have a favourite sort of environment that you enjoy playing in? Is Do you have to be really mindful of the conditions that you're going to be playing in? Like what's it like setting up for a show depending on the country or stuff like that? It can be really, it can be so different. Like the environments can be so different. Like a, like a lot of those sort of, you know, premium festivals that you mentioned, they're really amazing to play at in terms of an artist because the the logistics are really um, great and you're taken care of and it's a lovely environment and, you know, it's a pleasure to be there. And, and certainly there can be like bookings along the way where it's a little bit like, well, you know, cowboy promoters doing flying by the seat of their pants a little bit kind of like, is this going to happen? You know, stage is not running to time and everyone's on this crazy schedule trying to get from A to B. So, you know, I guess you're just kind of like rolling with it. I mean, from our perspective, you know, we're lucky enough that we have crew. So a lot of that kind of stuff is buffered for us and, and we just get to kind of like turn up you know, test if our equipment's working and play the music. Um, whereas yeah, a, a lot of our tour managers and stuff like that are kind of on the phone, three shows ahead, discussing with the stage managers, you know, making trying to make sure that everything's there. So in, from our perspective, in terms of musicians and players, I guess it, it sort of comes down to the venue size, the, the amount of people there, the enthusiasm of the people there, you know, the acoustics of the room. Like you can yeah. be playing... You know, we, we've done, obviously we've done these big stages and we've played to lots of people and we've played at outdoor festivals, we've played in tents, you know, you can have your preference there. Um, but then you can get to like a little small room in the middle of Cleveland halfway through your tour that has, you know, that you're set up on the ground. It's like the basement of a restaurant and there is no stage and there's a hundred people there and they're kind of like climbing right on top of you and it can be insane and amazing and it wouldn't look like that on paper like oh we've got to do this funny little basement for a hundred people but then when you do it it's just like wow I did not expect that so it's really dependent on all those different factors and um and it can be a surprise you know I guess it's it's hard when you're sort of like maybe a few albums in You've, you've kind of built up a show that's dependent on a lot of production and it's expensive um, and you can sort of see that maybe numbers aren't so good for a certain aspect of the run and it can be a bit disheartening and then uh, you're sort of looking forward to like, oh, the, the sales are much better in San Francisco or whatever, you know what I mean? It, it, so, yeah, it's, 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 there's a bit of a kind of facing the reality of it and trying to keep a positive outlook and, um, yeah, yeah, you know. Yeah. Okay, well, because in an interview back in 2018, I think it was with SBS, the the interviewer asked, like, if you had a message to your music and you had a great answer where you were like, well, the message is to 
immerse yourself in the music and have fun with your friends. And that's a message in itself to kind of let go for a time. So you, it sounded like you guys try and put the audience first. How, so in the middle of your set, if you feel like maybe you're just not hitting the correct vibe, how do you then in the middle of it, try and shape the show so it you're bringing people back in? Has that ever happened? Well, it's, it's, it's the, what you're, yeah, the question that you're asking is kind of impossible for us to do, you know, I mean, the show that we present is, is sort of like set, you know, because of the production that we have and, and we've sort of designed it a certain way that it's bulletproof. It could be the same show, you know, on a festival stage or at a club, but it's delivering the same kind of high energetic level um and so for us to sort of like flip the script halfway through the show is just impossible i can imagine that a rock band who gets up there and has a bit more of a fluid set list would might be able to like if things are if they're say playing too many slower numbers and they're losing the crowd and they can see that it's not working they might be able to go hey let's play that rocker and try and get things back on track um whereas thankfully our stuff is with the music that we make is already sort of up there anyway so um yeah i mean you'd have to be kind of pretty shit-faced to not <laughs> be affected by it which brings me to my next anecdote because I think we have definitely had that situation before where we're like up on stage at a festival with a sea of people there and it's just like they're not even aware that we are there and uh, I think that was because I was one of I was like a maybe we played at a winery or something like that and everyone had been drinking wine from you know maybe 11 a.m or something like that and it you know it's just like yeah it could have been anyone on stage (laughs) (laughs) We were just we were just placeholders, really. Um, yeah, <laughs> we were just that background noise filtering into your hangover. And you guys have such huge songs that they must have been really shit faced to have not like been there. Yeah, wow. Yeah, yeah, it was. It was. You know, not many things surprise me anymore. Being, um, you know, after doing this for like twenty years, but. That one was just like wow, because there's there's a couple, there's only really a couple of moments in the set where the music goes completely silent and there's like room for applause or anything like that. Like most of the set is kind of mixed, so it's seamless. Yeah, but in that particular gig, yeah, the, there was those couple of breaks came through and it was just like wow, <laughs> what's going on? But it was, but it also looked like an orgy of people going around as well. Like everyone was moving and and like this sea of people was writhing, but it was just this one big drunk Weird. organism. Yeah. Well, because so the 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 show is yeah. Excuse me. The show is set. That's I wanted to ask. How do you guys design a set? How do you choose? Like, how much is pre-recorded? How much is live? Like I've seen you guys live. I've been to your New Year's festivals here and, you know, you have the synth and the moogs and the modulators and the keyboards. You've got your mics for vocals. Sometimes you have a drum set. Sometimes you, you don't. How much do you guys have to really rehearse timing all of those buttons and switches? And is that something you guys are constantly rehearsing or does it are are you guys just that good that it's just natural you hop on stage and you're like I know what I'm doing always (laughs) you well I mean if we're if we're sort of about to start a brand new album cycle then it's quite a significant rebuild that has to happen in the set 
Um, we have to go back to the tracks that we've made, you know, on previous records and look at if we want to revamp it or remix it or maybe even take, I, I think on the last album to a high vis, I had an idea to take one of the songs from High Viz, Feel Alone, and blend it with Girl in the Sea so that they became one long song. Um, so there's fun things that we get to do like that, which is almost like, in a way, doing a brand new piece of music. So, yeah, there's a lot of pre-production that goes into actually designing the set and making sure that, you know, the track order is interesting and, and it hits the right notes and it's also got a variety and we can kind of get, we can slide that single in there in terms of actually putting that onto stage and then um, factoring in what we perform on stage. We, yeah, we do have to rehearse for a couple of weeks just to figure out what we're doing and what we're adding and, and, we some, and in some cases, we have to go back to the backing tracks and remove things so that we can play those things live. And usually when we get that done, like it's a, it's a, it's a, takes a few months, then it's kind of good for a couple of years and we can kind of spice things up by like taking one thing out and replacing it or moving it around. We also have various different sets. Like we have a long-formed club set that's about 90 minutes long. We have a shorter festival set that's about 60 minutes long. And we have an even shorter festival set that might be 45 minutes long just for those, you know, situations. Um, in terms of what we play, like obviously Julian's doing all the vocals and, and adding a bunch of synths. And we, we try to like take the big hypey build-up moments and exaggerate them even more with, with what we're doing on stage. Um, there was a period where I wasn't playing drums, but generally speaking, I think, you know, for the majority of our career, I am actually on drums, but maybe balancing between playing drums and, and you know, playing some electronic pads as well and, and playing some synths. Um, but you'd be surprised, like, after not playing for six months like we just did on the weekend, you know, we 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 made sure that we had a good long sound check on the day of the show. I for, I'd completely forgot of so, like certain songs were coming in. You know, like I was like, oh, before oh, it started, really? like, oh, that's right. You know, and you know, there's certainly been times where Julian has kind of you know butchered his way through the lyrics a bit, a little bit, and maybe even forgot that a, a whole verse you know was about to come back in. So, um, yeah, there's a. There's a, you know, if you're not, it's like anything, I guess, if you're not practicing it regularly, it, it tends to slip out of the, out of the hands a little bit. hundred percent. Well, I think what's good is that a lot of the time, or at least when I've seen you, you guys have been later on in the night, which means people are, they're in a certain state by that point. So I guess if you, yeah, I can totally imagine if I forgot that if I was Julian and I forgot the lyrics, I'd be like, I'm going to sing anything and you're going to love it anyway. <laughs> totally. Well, I mean, it's also, also like, you know, when you start playing them out live, the music just gets to evolve into something else. And why can't it happen with lyrics? <laughs> Let me tell you a story. I don't know what it is yet, but let's go on the journey together. <laughs> Something's going to happen. and it's, it's going to be a brand new chorus. <laughs> I kind of wanted to ask because you guys have been pioneers of this genre for ages 
and you're still so bloody well respected in the scene, but you've seen the shift that this music scene's taken. And um, I guess I wanted to ask, where do you put yourselves now on the spectrum? Because you guys came out with uh, the Raka EP in 2019 with uh, Tom, Golden Features, for those who, who may not know, playing at home. And you mentioned in one of your interviews that you felt like a lot of the music now is regurgitated ideas and the reason why you liked or I guess you were drawn to Tom was because he was doing something different was one of the reasons why you decided to work with him because you kind of wanted to reconcile your sound with what was going on in the scene now was it because you you just really liked his sound like what how do you reconcile yourselves in the scene like what's what's going on there what are your thoughts do you hate it do you love it I'm uh, I'm kind of I'm maybe I, well obviously if you're looking at the last two years I'm kind of like what scene like I don't really mm. even know like the scene has kind of taken a beat beating because of the fact that we just can't even do it I mean even down to the point where like uh, after the first lockdown last year and a lot of people were talking about I'm going to use this time to make as much music as possible and we were the same like we were like all right let's use this time to make some things that we wanted to do and we started doing it and I personally found it really difficult because the context of what we do in terms of performing it on stage to all of those excited inebriated people you take that out of the equation and it's like what is this kind of like you know festival banger without a festival and I mean even to the point and I hope no one minds me saying this I think we did one of those live streams early on with no audience and stuff. And, and, you know, I mean, it was fun to do and stuff, but just watching it out of context without the crowd, it was, I think the meaning and the purpose of it really was, um, was missing. So in terms of where we sit in, in whatever the scene is, I, I really don't know. I, I guess, you know, relating it back to our project that we did with Tom from Golden Features, like I sort of heard in the music that he was making, where he was drawing on a lot of different influences from like grunge and from, you know, from, from our generation of electronic music and sort of, and then his generation of electronic music and he was forging it together and making something very interesting that sort of felt like it was a, was a bit more connected to our lineage. So I was majorly impressed with him as a producer. I was majorly impressed with seeing how his music worked live and, and, and also we, we sort of became friends and developed a mutual respect. And I thought, well, you know what? This could be a fun thing to do after, you know, the, the ordeal that was making high vis. I mean, for us personally, that was a really long time to make a record. It was a really difficult record to make. Um, and certainly, you know, as people who've been doing it for a long time, you do find that, and especially if you've had a bit of success, it becomes harder and harder the further down your career, down the, down the line you go in your career to actually just kind of maintain your level of expectation um, and maintain your relevancy. I mean, you know, not that we sort of like consciously try to maintain relevancy, but, you know, there, there are certain things that you know will and won't work. And there are certain things that you know uh, fit into the preset's identity. 
So, yeah, I guess, you know, I mean, we're middle-aged men. We're in our mid-40s and we've been doing this for a long time. And, I mean, I, I sort of, I, we look at, like, acts like the Chemical Brothers or, or whatever who are still doing it, you know, and doing it really well and still well, really well regarded. And, and I sort of feel like, well, there's nothing stopping us from kind of, you know, existing in that space as well. Um, you know, it, it, I guess it, do, it does become a little bit, interesting to think about when you're in Australia there is a certain um importance placed on 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 triple j for instance and you know the importance of having them on board to champion your music kind of means that sort of set for being booked to you know to play yeah you're you're good so Mm. that's always a little bit of something that is in the back of your mind (laughs) Yeah, because okay, so you touched on that high vis was was difficult to write. Is that because of external pressures? Was it that that like thought in the back of your head being like, crap, like we've 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 taken a, a bit of a break here and how do we break into this scene that's suddenly shifted away from us almost? Or was it that you wanted to keep your old sound and you weren't sure if it was going to work as well is it that you were trying to do something different and you weren't sure how you're going to like hit the nail on the head there i think it's that i think it's you know it's it's probably a gentle blend of all of those kind of concerns or 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 thoughts and and i think the the a lot of the time spent was searching you know like kind of throwing shit at the wall and, and seeing what sticks like spending two weeks making acid tracks and then throwing them all away, you know, or spending, I guess, just sort of working diligently, working a lot. Like it wasn't necessarily that we took a break. I mean, we were working consistently throughout that period of time between Pacifica and High Viz. And we even did a couple of standalone singles. We even did a massive project with the Australian Chamber Orchestra. So there were things that kind of got in the way, but when it came time to be focusing on the record, I think we... We knew that we wanted to get back to some sense of fun, whereas Pacifica was a bit more of a conceptual record. Um, we wanted to simplify things, but it just isn't as easy as it sounds. And, um, you know, I, I think we do really know what the magic is when we hit it and we are trying to allow ourselves to be in that position to invite it in. But, you know, the magic moments happen once every hundred other moments so it's just a lot of brutal trudging in the trenches waiting for that little glimmer of of sunlight yeah it's like 10 10, or like like 20 or even 50 crap musical ideas for that one awesome hook yeah yeah Yeah. because you you mentioned in so when you guys were writing uh raka with tom you said that it to an extent, obviously, because it, it, everything comes with its challenges, but it it came quite naturally and quite easily, like the, the musical concepts. Would you say that's when you know you've got a good idea, when it when it doesn't have to be so forced? Is that kind of what you would tell musicians to look for? Um, yes, but also you can have a really instant moment of inspiration where you can tell that this is a, a gold nugget, but to actually then polish that into what it needs to be t- to exist can be 
brutal. Um, you know, uh, so it true. Both like both of those um, ways of of working are true. You know, um, and then there are moments where you are really, excuse my expression, you know, pushing shit uphill, but it can really tip yeah. over into something great. And also, some of the sometimes it's like it's those really difficult forced ideas that then lend way for something really easy and natural to come out just because yeah. you're done with it. Like, you know, yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I think certainly it helped a lot having a third person come into the presets world or for us to all join together. It wasn't like he was coming into our world. We were merging worlds um, and you know, his only really, he's only, well, he'd only really done one record at that point. So his skills were, his skills were up to scratch and his enthusiasm was there and his energy was there. And it was like, okay, great. You know, it's exciting. I mean, I don't know if you've watched the, the get back Beatles thing that's on at the moment. It's so amazing. But the, for the first bit, they're all in a room together and they're kind of surly and uninspired and, um, you know, George even quits the band for a couple of days and then they move to a different building and Billy Preston, the, the keyboard player, walks in and everything just comes to life. Like, you know, fresh a breath of fresh air and, and, and energy. And I think that was really what was so great about the collaboration with Tom. Yeah, because you and Julian have been working together for so long. And I'm when you were talking about the the EP, you were like, this is the first time we've we've well and truly collaborated. It's not just bringing in session musicians or bringing in vocalists or, or whatever. Like this is truly a 50-50 split. Do, because you've worked so long with Julian, is that sometimes you guys are just sitting in that studio and you're like, I kind of just want to punch you in the face. Has that ever happened? <laughs> Not punching, but have you have you ever had the thought? Oh, <laughs> uh, look, yeah. I mean, like, you know, have you ever been in a relationship that's 20 plus years long? <laughs> <laughs> have you do you have brothers and sisters? It's kind of like that. Um <laughs> Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's so it. so yes, it's it's all those blood, sweat, and tears. It's all those high moments, it's all those low moments. And you know, um, it's it's a it's a real challenge, and you know, you do have to step away sometimes when you when you're kind of overwhelmed with emotions and just go, oh, God, like really, like, am I going to let this get in the way? Like, we've accomplished so much, you know, we've done a, we've we've done things that you know many bands haven't been able to do, and and I'm super proud, and I feel really lucky of, of what we've achieved in our career, but. But yeah, you know, like everything, you know, you are headbutting a lot. Yeah, 100%. Well, I know there was a little bit of a, I don't know if it was a heated discussion. I'm probably just putting words in your mouth here. But when you, when it was time to, time to choose what you were going to release as the single for Raka, I know there was like contention over what was the right move and in the end you guys and you decided to go with paradise and you said that one of the big reasons was that it was more palatable and that it was going to play more favorably to spotify's algorithm with the whole playlists thing what's it like now stepping up toe to toe with like the spotify algorithm beast because this is just something you've had to 
like slow, like this isn't something you had to deal with when you first started. And suddenly it's such a huge part of releasing music. Like, do you respect it? Do you fucking hate it? Do you like, what, what are your thoughts on, on that side of music? Yeah, it's, it's, it, it is, it's a tricky other kind of piece of the puzzle that you do need to consider, I guess, you know, um, I think the sort of brazen fuck everyone and fuck everything aspect to my personality thinks like it's a crop of shit. <laughs> um, but yeah, but you know, obviously there is, there is a method to the madness. Um, it, it's funny in particular with the decision to lead with whatever single, like it was pretty divided amongst both of our camps as to what the right move was. And, and I think that, you know, there wasn't a wrong move. There was like two really great possibilities and they've both done really well. And, you know, and I think that if we'd done it either way, we probably would have ended up with the same result. So I love the overly sort of beholden attitude to the algorithm, you know, because I just don't think it's really what it's all about. So, but at the end of the day, you know, 14 million streams can't be wrong (laughs) yeah well I think that's what that's what's tricky about it is it's wanting to be bitter towards it because it's like a data bot essentially telling you what's good and what's not good and you know most musicians say they don't know when they've got a hit so how the hell can a piece of machine like you know big data like predict that so I can imagine as someone who got to live in that time or like release be huge in that time where it wasn't such a huge consideration, I'd find it really bloody frustrating to have to play that game now. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. totally. Um, yeah. And I mean, the other thing as well is like the the whole aspect of of the numbers that everyone can see, you know, like it's it's like artists are getting booked on on the their numbers. It's just and they have been for a long time. Um but it doesn't necessarily determine on whether something is good or not. You know, um, a good idea is a good idea. Like, and you know, whether five people have heard it or 500 million people have heard it, it doesn't change that. And yeah, I mean, God, we were releasing music before smartphones even existed. So, you know, and we, 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 we'd had moments where we would play a song to a massive crowd that hadn't even been released and we would see it be a hit in in a very specific moment um and i think it does kind of tie people's hands a bit into and it does make people feel a little bit sheepish about taking risks and and i think that it has made music it has changed music you know um you know even to the point where people are releasing shorter songs and 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 also certain types of feelings um you know it has limited and tamed what people are 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 able are are confident with with releasing um so it's not ideal but what are you going to (laughs) do yeah exactly well exactly it's 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 playing it's the nature of the game for now yeah but maybe maybe you know it'll change in 10 years touch wood hopefully we'll see probably not (laughs) (laughs) but so you guys are going to go do new year's eve in the park which is here in sydney uh big new year's eve show and like you said 
good show to do because everyone's just real happy to actually be able to do something this New Year's. What did you do last New Year's? Because were you here in Sydney with the family? What did we do? Oh, my God. What a couple of years. I can't even remember. I sort of feel like, oh, yeah, I was at home. I remember. I watched... I watched, um, I think I watched the ABC thing that was on and yeah, it was like, there was a bunch of bands playing at the opera house with no crowd. Remember? Yeah. yeah it was like yeah. DMAs and um, Vera, Vera Blue and stuff like that. And then after that, some amazing like Sony music, oh no, EMI um, funded disco movie came on about like the village people. And it was like, so, oh. it was, it was like this, yeah, it was amazing. It was just like <laughs> this relic of music history, but it was, it was clearly like this marketing tool for the village people that EMI had put together. It was like one of the worst <laughs> movies I've ever seen, but it was so fun to watch. I was like, oh, wow, that really makes me feel better. <laughs> that makes <laughs> think, me feel better about myself. <laughs> so, well, just how miserable the whole experience of a, you know, a New Year's Eve was in a pandemic and then this kind of really blatant marketing exercise of a movie came on <laughs> with terrible acting and, you know, oh, my God, it was amazing. Yeah, I was in the middle of a project during that time. So I think I woke up the next day with no hangover and was just, like, on the phone talking to some director and doing work, you know. It was, oh, it was wow, very you've grown boring. up. <laughs> you've grown up. <laughs> don't tell anyone that (laughs) i love that well it's going to be a very different uh new year's for you so so no terrible village people film luckily (laughs) or maybe maybe you're sad about it i don't know maybe that's what you would prefer to do (laughs) but what what can people expect from this set have you guys been sneaky producing over lockdown are we going to be hearing something new i know you guys didn't even really get a chance to really give the ep like a solid shot live because you know pretty soon after we kind of all went into into those dark dark days for two years um so are you guys going to be focusing on that tell me a little bit about the set what's what's happening there well, yeah, I think the last time we played in Sydney was at the end of last year. We did one of those like um, sit down shows at the Factory Theatre. We did two of those in one night. And so, you know, we haven't played in Sydney properly since, I don't know, I guess 2019. Um, yeah. So, yeah, there's, I think a lot of people are going to be experiencing a couple of tracks from the Racket EP for the first time um, and maybe just experiencing you know, re-experiencing some of the other material again for the first time in a long time. Um, but but it's also cool. I, I mean, we've we've been working away uh, over the last couple of years, and you know, both of us have been releasing some music um, on on our own as well. But Jules and I did get together and spend a couple of months, and we actually made the the soundtrack for the fireworks show that's happening on midnight for the Sydney Harbour thing. So, oh my gosh, I think it, I think it just got announced like within the last, you know, what, I don't know, very recently. Um, so that's okay. no, no surprise that you haven't. I mean, probably since we've been talking. 
party. Yeah. You know what? Uh, then, then it's not my fault. Yeah. Yeah. No, no. It's not you've my been, shit research. <laughs> you've been really well researched. I've been quite impressed and also a little bit terrified. Um, so, yeah. So we've, 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 we've done that. It's like a 12 minute piece of music. Um, which will, you know, it's going to happen with the big midnight fireworks in the harbour. And that, that'll be really cool to see. So hopefully, you know, we get to watch that while it's happening. And we're taking one piece of music from, from that 12 minutes. We're going to release it as a single on New Year's Day. Um, hello. That's awesome. I'm so excited. Okay. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> sorry, I just, my, my brain broke just then a little bit. But are you going to be able to watch the, the Harbour Bridge lights? What time are you on? I don't At know yet. We, we, yeah, I don't know what our set time is yet. We were talking about that over the weekend. I don't think anyone knows yet. So, um, oh. so you know, look, fingers crossed where we are playing a good sort of like set time, but also fingers crossed we get to watch the, the thing. I don't think we'll be able to get down to the actual harbour to watch it, but I think I'd rather watch it on TV anyway. Yeah, all right. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> Because oh. then you never know, they might squeeze that Village People movie back in <laughs> afterwards. Wouldn't that just be a career highlight? Like, watch that and then it transitions into the Village People film. Totally, career totally. made. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, thank you so much for taking the time out to chat with me. Um, and thank you for telling us about this new music that's going to come out on new year's day so everybody- i'm not sure if i was meant to mention that or not but you know hey what what the hell <laughs> okay well in case you get in trouble with management maybe just email me in case i need to cut that whole bit out <laughs> look i think it's i think i i think it's fine i think you'll be able to hear it like immediately yeah. after the fireworks goes up so it should be oh. published by then so you know enjoy that is some, it that is some good pr it is good, isn't it? Claps to you. Hopefully it works. <laughs> <laughs> I wish right. I could take the credit for that idea. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I wish I could say that was... And that was Mr. Kim Moyes from The Presets. He was such a pleasure to talk to, guys. And what was hilarious about that whole chat was, you know, prior to pressing record, I uh, we had some pretty horrendous tech issues. And all I could think when while it was happening was, oh, my gosh, Sabrina, like, you need to get your shit together. Like, you have one of Australia's biggest music producers on the other side of the camera. And then when we got it all sorted, you know, I was explaining the premise of the podcast to him and the poor thing didn't even realize that he had agreed to a podcast and I then had to admit that he was in first going to be the first episode um but you heard it for yourself he took it on the chin and he jumped right in with me so a huge thank you to Kim and we did learn something exciting just now that they are releasing some brand new music at midnight on New Year's Eve. So make sure that you have your music or your phone out, I should say, and the download button ready because there is no doubt in my mind that that is going to be a massive banger. 
If you want to see the presets live, then you're in luck. They are all over the country for the next year. First cab off the rank is Sydney for New Year's Eve in the park. They will then be heading up to Brisbane for Wildlands, then to Liquid Candy in Perth. And then they'll be hitting up all of the wine machines and topping off the tour in New Zealand for Snow Machine. Touch wood that COVID permits it, of course, because right now COVID is back with a vengeance. It's currently Christmas Day. Um, I'm alone, isolating uh, in my apartment, waiting on test results. I've got a big old bottle of Verve and I've got some donuts. Shout out to my sister for sending them over all the way from London. Um, so yeah, it's 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 a hectic couple of weeks. So I, I hope everybody is with loved ones now and that they are as safe and healthy as possible. But that is an official wrap on our first episode of It's All BS. Next week, I will be joined by the beautiful George Alice, who was Triple J's Unearthed Tie winner in 2019 for her hit single Circles. George is going on a massive summer tour. She's about to embark on an, a huge journey. Um, so make sure that you tune, tune in next week to hear all about that. And to make it easier for you to tune in, I highly recommend that you subscribe to It's All BS on whatever streaming platform you're currently listening to me on. Never thought I would say that in my life. Um, <laughs> but anyway, guys, between now and then, of course, we have all the New Year celebrations to get through. So make sure you stay safe, you stay healthy, you have all the wholesome fun you would like, um, where, however that may look to you. But until then, this is It's All BS. I'm your host, Sabrina. I'll catch you next time.